welcome back to Area 51 and a Half, where we talk about all things science fiction, fantasy, horror, and pop culture. I am your host, John Allen, also known as Spooky Uncle John. With me, as always, is my co-host and producer, Snyderman501, Nick Snyder. And our lovely techno-mage, Ren. A.K.A. Pyrelily. Nick, remind our aliens how they can get a hold of us. Well, they can find us on social media. You can get to us on Facebook by searching for Area 51 and a Half. You can find us on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok at the Area 51H. Nick, we have got a huge show today. Yeah, we do. Oh my gosh. We have to talk about 100 years of history because today we're talking about the 100th anniversary of Disney. Yeah, that now we can't possibly possibly wrap a hundred years into an hour show no but we're going we're going to talk we're going to touch on a lot we're going to hit some highlights and what it means to us etc yeah. etc but before we can do that it is time for nick's pop culture roundup oh boy all right so it's been an interesting couple weeks first and foremost we finally got confirmation on beetlejuice 2 it is set in stone. We have a release date and we have a cast. Yes, and what's the cast? I well, mean, who's coming back? Well, obviously Michael Keaton is coming got, back. We've got Michael Keaton returning, Catherine O'Hara returning, and Winona Ryder returning. Oh, that's good. Adding to the cast is Justin Thoreau, Monica Bellucci as Beetlejuice's wife. Oh, which, yeah. a Mrs. Juice. Okay. Yeah, exactly. And the current Hollywood it girl, Jenna Ortega, because of course. Yeah, and she's playing... Um, uh, 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 Lydia's daughter, yeah. yeah. So that'll be interesting. Um, for our hardcore sci-fi nerds, I got some good news. Babylon 5, an animated film, is coming. The cast includes series original Bruce Boxleitner, as well as a host of original and new cast members coming as well. Is this a new plot for Babylon 5? So what I read is that it basically has... Um, I, can't, I can't remember the captain's name. Mm-hmm. But he's traveling through different dimensions in time to try and get back home. It's interesting because this is the first. This is really the first um, Babylon Five piece of mainstream media in nearly thirty years. So this will be mm. interesting to see what they it's, do with it. It's also interesting because when they made Babylon Five, they had five seasons, a few movies, and that was it. They didn't extend. They had everything written out in the beginning. Yeah, and yeah. it was so, one of the first TV shows that used. Uh, CGI too, like yeah, you know, computer yeah, yeah. animation to try. Oh. And, I mean, if you see reruns of it, it looks a little bit rough and cartoony. Well, well, I think so we'll have to wait. Curious. Now, from one sci-fi property to another, Carol Kane is joining the cast of Star Trek: Strange New Worlds as the new chief engineer, and I'm all for that. I love Carol Kane. Oh yeah, and I can't wait to see what she does in Star Trek. Carol Kane is one of those actresses that you you sort of know her almost immediately. She's been around forever. And two of my favorite roles is she took over uh, in the Addams Family movie sequel as Grandmama. Yes. And I love it when she does the, boy, Bubba, Brian and Byrne have a nice day. <laughs> and she's just got such a unique, wonderful voice for character acting. And when she's opposite Bill Murray... In, in Scrooge. Oh, and my God. They're doing basically, uh, you know, what's called, if you have kids, sorry about it. This is what it's called, the ball breaker suite. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. It's, I love that. It's hilarious how she just 
beats the snot out of him with anything she can. And she's having this great time playing this very, like, character, just hitting him with a toaster. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> she's just, she's brilliant in everything that she does. I really, really loved her in Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt, uh, which is a Netflix series I really enjoy, but she was great in it. And, yeah, I'm really looking forward to seeing what, what she does on the Enterprise. Yeah. It's no, going to be kind of awesome. It'll be good. It'll be good. And uh, a little something from, from the toy world. NECA, one of my favorite toy companies, is releasing a new Freddie Mercury action figure. And the details on it are exquisite. It looks so fantastic and so good. I can't wait to see that hit shells. NECA does really good action figures yeah they do i mean the detail is i mean this is why they're so expensive because the detail is just phenomenal yeah i actually have a whole slew of action figures from a bunch of different scary movie franchises i love them the pinhead one i think is my favorite it's just he's got the soft goods cape or uh, apron i should say and there's only so much you can do with the pins in a, in a, in right. a character like that but they do it very well you know me. This is why we're buddies. I love the horror action figures. Right, yeah. The horror action figures that they do are just, the, they're beautiful in the detail because it's really hard, particularly with Michael Myers, to mm -hmm. get that shaped mask where it looks like the William Shatner mask that they used. Yeah. You know, so they could take a cheap way out. I've seen some cheaper ones that don't look that great. So NECA really does, I mean, they're, they're worth the money. It's, mm -hmm. to me as a fan, they're worth the money. But to try and come up with the money to, to get them and then display them properly. Because I, I, I'm a little different than you. I don't want to take them out of the box. Yeah, I, I understand that. But man, they're, they're beautiful and I need to have them on display. I got to let those little babies breathe. I know. And I wish I had the money to actually buy two sets. One that I could keep in the box and one that I could display i suppose i could because i don't have children but I, I i just i grew up in that era that if you when collecting was the thing and if you wanted to keep it mint you left it yeah. in the box yeah no i get that that's there's a few things that i've kept in the box most of the stuff i keep in the box is for for autographs but mm -hmm. there's a few things i've kept in there but most of everything of mine comes out of the box which is really kind of weird for me because i have that uh we bought that pumpkin head figure at the yeah. Comic Con and Lance Henrik signed it for me. But that is not in great shape, that one. But the signature is kind of great to have on there. Yeah. Because what can happen, uh, here's our tip for collecting. What can happen is the clear plastic parts, whether it's a hard shell plastic or whatever, it can yellow yeah, over time if you if it's exposed to elements. Yeah. So you know, just a kind of a tip. Keep it out of the sun. Keep it away from windows and don't feed it after midnight. Don't feed of it course. after midnight. Yeah, <laughs> unless you want anarchy and at Christmas time, which uh, you know, Christmas means carnage. We learned that from Babe. Absolutely. Okay. Um. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't think that's where I was going with it, did you? No, that 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 threw me for a loop there, buddy. Don't you remember the duck in, in yeah, Babe? Christmas means carnage. Yeah, I know. I know. Speaking of carnage. Last night, and this will get us right into our main topic, we saw Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3. Yes, we did. And Nick and I almost had a fight in the theater because we disagreed slightly. 
Yeah, yeah. I I loved it. I thought it was fantastic. I thought it was not just the best MCU film they've made in a good long while. A low bar. But I honestly thought it was one of the better sci-fi films I've seen probably since Dune, at least. Right. It was really good. I enjoyed it. If so- I... Yeah, it was good. Yeah, and see, that's where we had the difference of opinion, because you used the term fantastic, and I said, look, it's good. I grant you that. It's not fantastic. And I and and Nick went, okay, <laughs> because he was just like, had this great experience with it. So let's talk about the positive parts of it first. So, and this is the thing, like, anytime a movie makes me cry even just a little it it's up there for me and this did it twice so the basic story and we're going to issue a spoiler alert right here right now if you haven't seen guardians of the galaxy volume three yet spoiler alert spoiler alert spoiler alert so the basic story is really rocket raccoon's backstory yeah and them trying to save his life because he gets injured. Yes. And it's a fabulous story. It really that is. That was the great thing about it. Is that it focused on this character that is really kind of beloved by everybody, I yep. think. I I would be hard-pressed not to find a Rocket Raccoon fan. Oh, I agree. And if you aren't a Rocket Raccoon fan, who hurt you as a child? That's all I have to say. The high evolutionary. Yeah, I guess, right? <laughs> And, but let's talk about that for a minute, because I think that the acting in this, particularly in two categories, was, was really strong. First of all, Zoe Saldana as Gamora. There is that moment where she is just laying into Quill, and mm-hmm. it is fantastic. Mm-hmm. Chikuti Iwaji as the High Evolutionary. What a powerhouse performance. I have never seen a villain unite people in such a way that you are just going to go, you want to reach through the screen and pummel him yourself. So it's an interesting contrast for me because I know him from Peacemaker, the television show with John Cena, which is also a James Gunn project. Right. He plays Mern, and he is incredibly likable in that show. So to go from being this very likable character to this absolute megalomaniac villain. Right. Oh, my God. He's good. He's good. Um, The look of the character was there. He it was just fantastic. Yeah. And of course, the soundtrack is what you expect from Guardians of the Galaxy. I mean, that's kind of the whole thing. It's like an 80s uh, cassette tape with all the best mixes that you you have on there now one of the things that i really want to just just as a callback to the comic books one of the things i loved was the actual having them in the actual guardians of the galaxy uniforms yeah i loved that that was fantastic and of course the addition uh we saw her as it turns out to be in guardians of the galaxy volume one probably showed up in two in the christmas special uh is cosmo Yes. I mean, Cosmo kind of gets elevated into a uh, uh, supporting character. Cosmo is the um, the dog cosmonaut that Russia yeeted into space many years ago. So, again, character I know from the comic books. Now, one, it never really occurred to me that, that Cosmo was a girl. Uh, so that was a bit of a, uh, a shock to me. Not shock, but just like, oh, I've always read, I've always read Cosmo as a guy. Whatever. But um, 
in the comic books, yeah, Cosmo's kind of the uh, the administrator of nowhere, mm-hmm. and it, he they, she's very kind of gruff with the Guardians, and, right? But it's still a really good uh, uh, chemistry. I love the chemistry this dog had with Craglin. Yeah, and that it, was fantastic. And it was a great running joke, probably yeah. the best running joke that they had in there. It's like. Where they going about? He calls her a bad dog. I am not a bad dog, <laughs> and it just keeps going on throughout the whole thing. And they're playing poker, and of course, one of the poker players is Howard the Duck. Yeah, and he's like, and "She's a bad dog." Oh man, let it go, bro. <laughs> it it was really funny. I I like Sean Gunn. I I think he's. Really underutilized in Hollywood, but you know what? He worked with his brother, so yeah. Whatever. I mean, look, it was scary at parts. Um, it was the the basic story. The two basic stories were good. Yeah, you know the the story with Quill and Gamora trying to reconcile the idea that she's not the Gamora that he was in love with, uh-huh. and of course Rocket's story and them trying to save him. That's all really great. So one of the things I really, really enjoyed about the Gamora uh, Star-Lord storyline is that they didn't force it at the right. end. They still went their separate ways. You kind of got, got a feeling that they could become right. something, but it wasn't forced into, oh, hey, they're in love again. And I, I really appreciated that. Right. I really liked that. Um, and just the, 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 the chemistry between Chris Pratt and Zoe Saldana, oh, I mean, the, the chemistry between the entire cast is fantastic, but yeah. I really dig the relationship between Gamora and Peter Quill. Yeah, and, you know, the, the nice thing about it is the, the kind of narrative of them being a chosen family. Yeah, you know, I love that. And it was interesting because, like family, like you and I, we disagree, and sometimes we really vehemently disagree mm-hmm. but at the same time we always come back and say okay look like yeah we've settled down because we've been buddies for like what like 20, 20 years nearly 20 years yeah yeah so i mean it's it's uh it's cool that way now this is where we kind of came to fisticuffs but you saw my point because i i made it very very well part of the problem is that they had too much story going on as well instead of focusing it just on that that rocket thing, and just on the thing between uh, Gamora and Quill, because you always have to have the two things. So they separate the characters quite a bit, and that was sort of done, I think, to get, give all of the stars equal time. I get that, but it was almost like there was too much story and too many characters, because there was a point that I had to turn to you and Zip, and I said, when did that character get eradicated i i missed that yeah so i i kind of thought about your point overnight and i kind of reconciled it with this part of the reason that didn't bother me is because i am very used to reading all sorts of sci-fi books where they have eight billion storylines going on at right. once so seeing a sci-fi movie where they do that doesn't really phase me. It doesn't but, bother me. But you're also the first generation that grew up with multiple things going on at the yeah. same time where you guys will have television over here. You're working on your computer. You're texting somebody on the phone. I didn't grow up like that. But I stand by my point that I think that it was bloated. It was really bloated. Because, you know, this gets to the other character that we're first introduced to in Guardians of the Galaxy 3, which is Adam Warlock, played by Will Poulter. Yep. 
And it's a waste of that character. Yeah, I do agree with that. Um, I love Adam Warlock in the comics. Yeah. And I was really looking forward to seeing him in this movie. I was hoping he would join the site of the Guardians earlier in the film. Yes, and I thought about that because, honestly, this is exactly how they could have fixed that. Because he comes in right at the beginning. Yeah, he does. Bam! Right into the, the like nowhere. A, like a hurricane. And he just is powerful, and he kind of lays waste until they get the drop on him, and he goes. Yeah. And then the big baddie, who we're introduced to, is more powerful than Adam Warlock. Yeah. You don't need Adam Warlock's mother. Yeah, they... Yeah, I know exactly. Yeah. How this could have been fixed is if he, if he was the henchman strictly to the high evolutionary and he comes in and we see how powerful he is. Then we get another scene like that where he takes on the Guardians again. Pretty much, you know, lays waste to them in a way. Mm -hmm. um, but they succeed in getting Rocket away from him because that's, that's what he's after. He's after Rocket. The high evolutionary wants Rocket back or whatever. I'm not telling you the reason, even though we've issued a spoiler alert. Because I want it to unfold. I don't want to take any of the emotion away from people when they see this. It is a very emotional movie. I grant you that. Yeah. And then the more that the high evolutionary treats Adam Warlock like crap. And you get to that point where he can see that the high evolutionary is a megalomaniac who is, has a god complex and is just insane... He can turn to the side with the Guardians. You don't need his mother. So the mother had to be in it because they did set up Adam Warlock in Volume 2 with her. Um, honestly, what I would have done was as soon as, as soon as she blew up on that planet, I would have had Adam Warlock just go, well, he killed my mother, so I'm going to go after him. But it's, that would have been easy. But I also think it suffered from too many characters. So, okay, maybe the mother's there, but... Did she have to be as big as she was? Because it came at the expense of Adam Warlock. A little bit, yeah. You know, all of this stuff came at the expense of this character, which is a pretty popular character. Yeah, again, I, I love Adam Warlock in the comics. I They also made him a, a bit of an imbecile in this. Or, not an imbecile, but kind of foppish. And um, I was yeah. like, eh. Yeah, I mean, look, the frat is the problem we have with, with Love and Thunder. The frat boy works in a way. Yeah. Uh, but it stopped working because we'd see growth in Thor, and then he's right back to being a dumb frat boy. See growth yeah. in Thor, right back to being a dumb frat boy. Not every character needs to be a dumb frat boy. Yeah. And, like, I get they set it up as he's still a child. He got out, he was taken out of the cocoon too early, but it's just like, eh. He's not a child, though. I mean, yeah. he's not being portrayed by a child. Like, I get the privilege, but that's one of the other problems I had was that there were too many narratives going on. Mm -hmm. And so, because there were too many narratives going on, you couldn't really focus on any one of them. Yeah. You know, like, there was Politico issues going on. There was homeless issues going on. There was drug issues going on. There was uh, animal testing issues going on. There was corporation overreach going on. There was all these narratives that it seemed like the writers, because uh, I don't imagine James Gunn wrote it alone, just kind of tried to cram it all in instead of just like, hey, just, you know, tell us this neat story, tailor it down, tell us this great story about the 
the high evolutionary coming for Rocket and the Guardians protecting him. Okay? That's all we need. That's all we need. I I enjoyed all of the storylines that kind of wrapped into one. Um, it was, I felt for some of the characters, it wound up being a really good send-off. Mm-hmm. But I'm hoping it's not a send off for all. I mean, we already we, we already know that wasn't a send off for Star Lord, right? But I'm hoping it wasn't a send off for Rocket and Groot. I'm hoping it wasn't a send off for Gamora, Nebula. Oh, I don't think so. Yeah, I don't think so. And I would love to see Mantis again. I'm okay with Drax if Drax disappears into Ether, which Dave Batista seems to make it seem like. I'm okay with that, but. Yeah. I'd like to see some of the other gal- uh, Guardians in other movies. Yeah, and I think there will be more because uh, I agree with you. Now, first of all, I don't get me wrong. It's enjoyable, but it's problematic. I made the point about the special effects, and you made the point that they're probably being done by two different special effects companies because that took me out of it where the look was not consistent. Yeah, I I, I get that. I I didn't have a problem with that. I mean, I get what they're trying to do. They're yeah. trying to show different worlds, different yeah. ideas. And yeah, yeah. different And that's why it doesn't bother me. Different worlds are going to look different. And I get that. But if you look at something like Aliens, which is designed by H.R. Geiger, right? Mm-hmm. And you see that design throughout, even though the xenomorphs are more the, the Geiger kind of influence, but you still see that throughout the ship, right? Two different kind of looks, two different aliens, but it still is cohesive. Like a Tim Burton movie is a bit cohesive see i think it's a little bit more um admissible in a comic book movie because you do get different styles of mm-hmm. comics. you do get different right. artists i mean um uh, uh ramita ramita senior is completely different jack kirby is yeah. completely different than um yeah but it's it, but we're talking about a movie we're not talking about a comic book and, and uh, again it, it's kind of how i um Look at the differences be- between the Jokers in mm-hmm. the movies, right? Each Joker is different because each th- that but each movie is different. But even in the comic books, the Joker depends on the writer and the artist. Yeah. Like there's some there's some issues of Batman where the, the Joker is fine to step back. Yeah. And let the, the, but the, you, the, you, you had made the point that it was probably different companies yeah. doing different things. And well, so like that, pr- that, different production assistants doing yeah. different things. Like different yeah. special effect companies, I think, were, yeah. were doing it. And that, I think, is kind of a mistake. I think yeah. you need like one production the, company. The, the, what I said was, I think James Gunn has his vision. He has told his vision to different people in his team. Right. And then they are responsible for translating his visions Within different departments. Yeah, and it's so hard for me because I do get nitpicky about this kind of stuff. One thing that they did that I loved, we're going to issue a second spoiler alert. Spoiler Spoiler alert. Spoiler Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. alert. I love the fact that they actually showed me somebody in space. Right? That was going to freaking die. Yeah. And that's the problem I had in the writing is that it seemed like Adam Warlock existed just for that moment. Lazy writing. Yeah, yeah, I I agree with that. I really, yeah, just I think they did our Adam Warlock dirty, but I'm sure we'll see him again. And I, I hope great. so because Will Poulter is a great actor. Yeah, and with that, it's because Marvel is part of it. Our main topic, Disney. Disney. A hundred years of 
the Walt Disney Company. A hundred years of Disney magic. A hundred years of saluting our mouse overlord. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh I, I guess I guess we have to go all the way back to when it first started. Yeah, so Disney was established back in October 16th, 2023. So we're just yep, coming in 2023, you say? Sorry. 1923. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah, back in 1923. Back in 1923. <laughs> Yeah. And that's kind of our first foray into what would become Mickey Mouse. Exactly. And it's it's really cool because you've got in that cartoon, you've got the proto Mickey Mouse, for lack of a better term. Mm -hmm. But you've also got proto Pete. Right. I love that. Like Pete's I, I, a character who has always played a really, really good antagonist. But my connection to Pete actually comes from Goof Troop. Oh, yeah. He was Goofy's best friend and neighbor in right. Goof Troop. Yeah, Pete's one of those things that uh, I, I'm not even sure what he is. I think he's a dog. I'm pretty sure he's a dog as, as well as Goofy. Okay. Is he, is he a dog or is he a cat? Because he's got sure, the pointed ears, I'm right? I'm pretty sure he's a dog. Yeah. Because like his, his wife is a oh, dog Pete. in Goof Troop. Oh, so then he must be. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't really know Pete that much other than he was... A villain in these shorts every yeah. now and then, yeah, and he yeah, shows yeah. up in in Mickey's Christmas Carol as yeah. one of the ghosts. And... But that's kind of been his history. His he's always just kind of showing up when he needed kind of a catch all villain. Yeah, um, and just knowing that his history goes back to Steamboat Willie too. Yeah. That's that's really cool. I love yeah. that. And well, and that just brings up the point: how many of these characters have gone by the wayside? Like, when's the last time you ever saw Clarabelle Cow? You oh know? my God! I don't think I've, I. Okay, honestly, I can't think of a anything involving Clarabelle Cow since maybe the 50s or 60s. I think the last time we would have seen an iteration of her was probably Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Yeah. Oh my god, I love that movie. Now, I could be wrong. I mean, like I don't watch every little Disney cartoon that comes out. They might have resurrected some of these characters they may have, on yeah. like the Disney Channel. But I mean, like one of my favorite characters you don't see anymore, that was Ludwig Von Drake, who is always teaching you about science or health or something, you know. Ludwig Von Drake was in Darkwing Duck. Okay. Maybe but... even maybe even DuckTales. But yeah, it's like, yeah. But it's it's just like there are so many of these wonderful, iconic pop culture characters. I mean, when we first started the podcast, we were talking about Superman, right? Yeah. And I think that was like our third episode. Something like that, yeah. And I mentioned at the time that in the 1930s, your two great big pop they they sort of basically started pop culture in a way, was Superman and Mickey Mouse. My my friend John, another John. Yeah, I know. His Johnny mom, G, right? Yep. Johnny J. And his mom had two things that she loved coca-cola and mickey mouse she had so much coca-cola iconography in i remember house, her coca-cola right? kitchen and, and when, mickey yeah. mouse as well i remember when we were kids they, they uh, she had the mickey mouse telephone like you it was a mickey mouse statue but he held yeah. The, yeah. the telephone 
Um, yeah, when I was a kid, I had a Mickey Mouse watch. Yeah, I think, I think we all had a Mickey Mouse watch at one point. Yeah. Um, I remember I I had Mickey Mouse action figures from the Disney store when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. I re- like first and foremost, Disney. I think was really the first big company to just slap their their stuff all over everything. Mickey Mouse, Donald Duck, their logo was on everything that they could slap it on. Right. No matter what it was, lunch boxes, t-shirts, stickers, um, cans of soda, everything. Yeah, and I really think that the the motion picture side of Disney moving forward, um, really the way that he told the fairy tales, the way that the artist did cutting edge technology in all of their movies, starting with Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. Mm-hmm. It's so fantastic when you think that they gave them honorary Oscars for that movie. I mean, there was no category for Best Animated Picture, but they gave them honorary Oscars. And there were seven little Oscars to go with what they were giving them for for this. I mean, this sort of... I, I really think that the Walt Disney Company is the one that catapulted animation into being a legitimate art form for movies. Well, yeah, I don't think without... I don't think if we if we had a world without Disney animation would be as meaningful as it is today yeah i don't think there would have been um even stuff even though it's not disney stuff like all dogs go to heaven rover danger field um stuff like that would never have happened even even i would go ahead and say that even ralph bakshi wouldn't have been a thing like I know it's a very different type of animation, but no. But I'm just trying to think. Like I mean, we don't know where those influences are because anime might well, I'm, I'm have, anime even, might have come up. Right. I'm, I'm not even talking about influences. Go ahead. Anime actually took inspiration from Disney's cartoons. There you go. But I'm not even talking about the inspiration though. I'm talking about the business end of it. Yeah. Imagine going to a a production company and saying, "Hey, I want to do an animated version of Lord of the Rings," but there's no past with animation right, right. past to base that on. So the production comes and go, no, no, we're not wasting money on that. Yeah. And you know, the under Walt, they seem to have a really smart way of doing things. Um, the, 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 there was a brand put on there. Now I, I hear he could have been a bit of a tyrant, but I don't think he was tyrannical. I think it was this, this is what Walt wants. Walt gets his company, his money. Well, it was it was more than that. It was him entirely. Yeah. Like the the company is his name. Yeah. He the company was him. It was his livelihood. It was everything about him. He was wrapped up entirely in his Yeah, company. like if you look at the the biopic Saving Mr. Banks. I think Tom Hanks nails what Walt Disney probably was like. Yeah. Uh I realize that biopics take liberties, etc., etc. Um, good movie. If you ever wondered how Mary Poppins came about, then I would suggest you watch it. But he was determined that he was going to do Mary Poppins and he was going to get the rights from Travers to do it. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of what that movie is about. Put out by the Walt Disney Company, of course, because they want to tell the story in their narrative and light. It's an intriguing story. So why not? But yeah, it's looking at the history of Disney over the years. One of the one of the things that I love is the fact that they were true they are still 
true innovators in animation. Yeah, they were really ahead of their time. They were the first to do layered animation. So what I mean by that is they'd have a kind of big bank cubicle with glass panes. Yeah, they did that with um, Sleeping Beauty. Yeah. Yeah, and they, they did that with, it's called matte painting in a way, where you, you put in a background and you look at something like 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea where the backdrop doesn't exist because it's a it's a painting. It's yeah. not really there. And you've got the model of the Nautilus and you've got this glass. Yeah, it's it's amazing. I miss matte paintings. I, I think that is a, a lost art in film. Oh, definitely. And... Well, even animation is a lost art because I mentioned on another a previous podcast when they did the sequel, Mary Poppins Returns, they had to bring back all these old retired right. Disney artists that they thought, are they even alive? Bring them back to do that animation sequence because nobody knew how to do it. it it's interesting. It really is. And I, I love, one of the other things I loved was those old Goofy cartoons, the one right. where the how-to cartoons. Right. But Goofy was such an idiot that he'd screw everything up. And he, Goofy almost had his own uh, version of the Wilhelm scream. <laughs> Something like that. Uh, but the one that really has always stuck with me is Goofy trying to zipper merge onto a highway <laughs> that has always stuck with me stuck with me because he's like he's 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 in the car and he's trying to go on the highway but everyone's going so fast and he's just like scared behind yeah, the steering wheel so it's wheel. either he's learning to drive or he's going camping i can't remember which it was but yeah uh it's just wonderful but uh, you know then then of course disney becomes so popular that walt has this vision of an amusement park yeah in anaheim california when did Disneyland open, Nick? Uh, Disneyland opened in July 17th of 1955. Yeah, and it, I'm sure it was vastly different from the Disneyland that we know now. Even the Disneyland that I saw in 1970, I don't know, when I was six, um, because it was pretty much the downtown and a carousel and uh, maybe uh, another kind of gentle ride or whatever. Who knows? But I mean, oh, the train. Yeah, the train. The train is iconic. And, you know, hint, if you're ever going to uh, I, I, Disneyland or Disney World, take the train. It takes you to all the different lands in the Magic Kingdom. So, so when, you don't have to walk your butt all over the place. When he was buying up the land for for Disneyland, um, when he was contacting different landowners, he used the pseudonym Walter Retlaw, which was <laughs> his, the last name was his first name backwards. My buddy Richard's a huge Disney Disney nerd, and he he taught me that ages ago. But yeah, I just <laughs> yeah. find that kind of cool. Why didn't that used to be an orange grove? Oh, I did. <laughs> didn't this used to be a swamp? <laughs> well, it's where the Pirates of the Caribbean is now. So ah. <laughs> but he, but the, even the thing like Walt Disney had such a vision for the future. Uh, it was, and and you see that with the with Epcot Center. Yeah, you know when when it first opened. So I mean, they opened now. Obviously, Disney World opened after Walt passed because he passed away. Uh, when did he pass away? We've got that up here. Uh, Walt died in December fifteenth of nineteen sixty six. Oh, nineteen sixty six is a horrible year for Christmas, isn't it? Holy crap! Can you imagine that? Yeah. Being a kid, it's like, oh no, Walt Disney's died. Please, Santa, bring Walt Disney back. The, the wizard died. Um, and that that's kind of it. Is like he is a wizard of of filmmaking. Well, yeah, but uh, this is what I mean. Like, I don't think there's anybody on the planet that hasn't been touched in some way by Disney, whether you love it 
or don't love it. Yeah. I mean, I'm not one of these Disney fanatics where everything's got to be Disney. I, I knew a girl once where her everything was Disney. Everything was Mickey Mouse. From furniture patterns to pillows to the kitchen to toasters to everything. every You can get anything that has Disney on it. I, I think it was Funny or Die that did it. There was a skit between two, uh, two people on a date. And the guy sits down with the girl and he's like, how much do you love Disney? And she's like, what? Like, you love Disney, right? And it just is back and forth between this girl who's really not all that into Disney and this guy who has Donald Duck tattooed in a place I'm not going to mention. Um, <laughs> Somewhere in his magic kingdom. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> wow. Yeah, exactly. Um, but th that's the thing is that there are massive Disney fanatics who live Disney as a lifestyle. I know a couple of them. Yeah. And it's, it's kind of intense sometimes. Now the, the ones that I know more personally, um, they're not quite the, I mean, they're, they're Disney fanatics. Do not get me wrong. Uh, but they're not to the point that everything in their house is painted in with Disney paint in Disney colors in like, well, yeah, it's just, uh, oh my God, there it, it's, it's almost a mania in a way. There was, I don't know if there still is, but there was at one point official Disney paint back in yeah. the 90s. I remember that. Yeah. Yeah. It's everywhere because again, like this is the company, uh, basically here's the thing they used to have, and I don't think they own it now, but there was a, a place in Florida called Celebration Place and it was owned by Disney. If you worked for Disney, you could go to Celebration Place and you could live there. Your kids could go to school there. You could uh, own a house. They had a grocery store. They had a pizzeria. They had anything you could imagine. But here's the interesting thing. They didn't have any other corporations in there. So it'd be something like uh, Luigi's Pizzeria, right? And it's not like a Disney brand thing, but it's not a franchise either. And it's not an independently owned company it's owned by the Disney Corporation. And this was the unique thing. And the reason I know this is because I talked to one of the Disney employees while we were waiting for the train. And he was one of the sort of conductors. And I said, how long have you worked for Disney? And he told me. And I said, do you enjoy it? And he says, oh, it's, this is fabulous. He says, you know what I can do? This, this is the best job ever. Because, and he wasn't even talking about the job itself. He was saying, I can bring my family in at a discounted price. They've given me this house. I've got this. And, you know, as I was going through all of this, it's like they've set him up with this wonderful life, which my friend Mark, before he's he's kind of gone a little anti-Disney now, but he said, I, I would live there. I would just, yes, just give it all to me. But what was interesting, I as I was listening to this gentleman tell me about his life, is Disney was going, here's your paycheck. Thank you for working for us. We're going to take yeah. most of it back and you're going to think you have a fabulous life because every time he buys groceries, it Disney's getting his paycheck back. So the truth of the matter is he's working for Disney for free and he doesn't know it. To an extent, yeah, because like what he's paying back to the grocery stores, that essentially pays for the materials in the grocery stores and the profit goes back to Disney. All the profits go back to Disney. And they give them enough money so that they can live their life, but most of the money is coming back. They really don't get a whole lot of savings. 
And when they retire and they aren't going to live in uh, now again, they I don't think they own Celebration Place anymore. But when they were at that time, when they retired, you couldn't just sell the house. You had to sell it back to Disney. And Disney was like, oh, yeah, here you go. This is what we value the house at. Bye. Which has always been my very interesting experience with Disney. Because every time I, I said it on the last podcast, you walk into Disney and it feels like there's like, Welcome! You have all of this money that you're going to give us. We love you. Give us a big hug. Welcome to Disney. Here's that little vacuum that we're going to put in your wallet so we can make sure we get every penny. And they can't do enough for you when you arrive. And then when you leave, it's like, get out. Well, and that's... it. It's there to make money. It is a business through, through and through. No, there's businesses and then there's Disney. <laughs> Fair enough. Now, here's the thing. I will give them whatever they want for and uh if my friend Smokey is listening to me that's her nickname Smokey if you're listening to me I'm sure you agree I will give them whatever they want for a dole whip for a what a dole whip dole pineapple whip oh my gosh it is so good it's okay. it's a it's a frozen treat okay made from right. dole pineapples I know you've never been there so <laughs> so you do not understand there are people that live in Florida that have annual passes to Disney yeah, that will. I, I I was following a Disney group for a while because I just I needed to get into the psyche of it. And the woman said, literally, she she said, you know, I just had a hankering, so I pulled my car into the 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 parking lot. Off I went, and I got myself a turkey leg, and I left. One of my one of my former coworkers, um, down in Florida, he lives around the corner from Disney, has a year long pass. He's constantly there with his girlfriend. Mm-hmm. I mean, they are always there. Why it's not? Like, yeah, exactly. If I lived around the corner from, from there, I'd be but, like, okay. But what astounded me was the fact that she would take the time to drive there, park her car, go in solely to get a turkey leg, and leave. Well, when you got a hankering, you got a hankering. I guess so, but I mean, you can't get a turkey leg. You can get anything in America. I'm sure they sell turkey legs at the Piggly Wiggly. To be fair... <laughs> If you go to, it's going to have a specific taste to it because they yeah. want you to come back for it. Just like I will pay you anything for the Dole Whip. There you go. <laughs> exactly. And I, what what I love, though, is I, I. this is where Mark was getting a little bit lost with a lot of the changes that they made for Disney. Ten years ago, when I went, uh, under Mark's guidance, of course, says, look for this, look for that, look for that. It's fabulous because you're booking your vacation. You think, well, you know what? That's reasonable. I can I can do that. So you book your vacation. Disney sends you this little package. Put your tags on the bags so that we don't get they don't get lost because we'll magically get them to you. And you put your bag at the airport and they go, well, I'm going to Disney. And you never see your bag, but somehow it magically appears in your room. And you get there. You, you land in the Orlando airport. You get there and there's this way to Disney and there's like a Disney store in the airport and everything else. And they had the bus, the magical express, it was called. And off you went and there was videos playing. It's the welcome to Disney. And it was this marvelous experience and in you go and everything's marvelous. They've gotten rid of the magical express. Now, whoever the, I forget who he was, but Mark was like, Mm -hmm. and then they brought in the magic genie, which was causing all kinds of problems. Got rid of magic hours Oh my! Or magic God. Actually, hang on. Before before you, I ask you that question, I just want to go back and talk about the luggage thing. Mm-hmm. The idea of me coming off a flight 
and not going to pick up my luggage and then letting the company take care of it gives me all the anxiety. That's only for the resorts, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Oh my god, no, I, I couldn't. It would freak me out way too much. It's magical, though, because it's just like, you, there it goes. And the thing of it is, though, they're going to guarantee it's going to get there. Whereas you go anywhere else, you give them your luggage, and guess what? It might not arrive. Well, and that's the thing. Like, the first the first time I, if, I, if I'm doing that, the first time I did it, I'd be hyperventilating, hyperventilating on the way to the resort. But after that, I'd be like, okay, this is cool. Yeah, but, um, but this was the cool thing about it, right? Because I, I sat there and I thought, I said to Mark, you got to be kidding me. you got to be kidding me with this, this magical express. No, Nick, I'm telling you, I get off the bus. I have no luggage. I don't have to get luggage from the bus. It was so weird. And I'm going, okay, I don't have to touch my luggage. I just, I just go to the front. Okay. Because I was like you. I'm like, all right. So find my room. Walk in my room. There's my luggage. It arrived before me. So what are magic hours? Magic hours were... <laughs> what were magic hours? They would have extended hours for the park for resort guests. So the park's closed, but still open if you're staying at a Disney resort. Oh. They were fabulous. Now, sometimes the magic hour was a cheap magic hour. It's like, it's going to open early for you. Make sure you get here. Where nothing else is open because the rides are still closed. I think, though, let's go back, because we've been talking about the parks, and I think we've talked about the parks enough. They're a wonderful place to go with your family if you can afford it now. The problem is when Walt died. Where does the company go? The, where does the direction go? Well, we know what happened is that his brother Roy deferred his retirement to take over the company. Yeah. And in the 70s, you... It was still it was still basically the stuff that the Walt had put in place. Yeah. I think that the, some of the the properties that came out there, like Robin Hood and the Rescuers, may have started their life while Walt was alive. Yeah, I can I can because see the that. animation would take a while to to draw, and they would probably have an outline like at least ten years of an outline as where they're going to go. Yeah, Walt, Walt was constantly looking for that next story. Yeah, um, Earth the Cats coming out in nineteen seventy. That would be the same thing as yeah. well. The there's a lot of classic films that came out in the seventies. One of my favorites is the original Pete's Dragon. Right, I loved watching that as a kid to the point I tried, and it was absolutely disgusting. But in in the movie, Pete has the dragon flame broil an apple for him, <laughs> and I tried that in the fire, and it was not okay. No, it was not good. He was basically making a nice roasted apple. Yeah. Uh, but you know, like that that also talks to the star power that Disney would attract. I mean, you think about the fact there was Kirk Douglas, there was uh, Shelley Winters, there was Red Buttons, there was Bob. Even in just voice acting, you know, uh, Eva Gabor, Bob Newhart, mm -hmm. you know, uh, Peter Ustinov. From that, just that one era, you know, yeah. it's just kind of a fantastic, uh, a tr like, look at all the work that they got. And some famous actors even started their work with Disney. Uh, particularly, I'm thinking of Kurt Russell. Yeah, yeah, the computer who wore tennis shoes. Yeah, like, just, and... <laughs> And Fred McMurray uh, was a big Disney draw, and uh, Fred McMurray uh, started my in my three sons sixties sitcom, and he had this good guy quality to him, and Disney helped solidify that good guy quality. This is you know the absent-minded professor and mm -hmm. all that kind of stuff, 
And what was interesting is that he played a bad guy in a movie. Not a Disney movie, but he played a bad guy in a movie. And he said it was the biggest mistake of his career. Because a woman came up with her child, and she read him to filth on being a bad guy. That she took her child to see that movie because Fred McMurray is everybody's dad, right? He's he's this good guy, and he never played a bad guy since, you know, for for the rest of his career. So I mean, it's it's kind of a double edged sword when you do the whole Disney thing. Like, could you imagine Tim Allen playing a bad guy somewhere? I mean, Tim Allen's whole career has been pretty much with Disney. Yeah, no, I, I can't imagine him. Because Home Improvement was done by the Disney company ABC, under yeah. under a different name. Yeah. Um, yeah, the only thing I can think of, the, the closest thing I can think of to him as a bad guy is actually in the Santa Claus movie where he plays the evil toy Santa. Anyway. Yeah. Uh, but that's it. Yeah. And, you know, and Tim Burton got us started at the Disney Studios. Yeah, he did. And the, the, the funny story about Tim Burton working for Disney was the fact that they went there and go, this kid's really talented, but what do we do with him? <laughs> you know, because they, they he was making these really kind of wacky shorts. Like he, he made the Frankenweenie short. He yep. made uh, Vincent with Vincent Price, you know, the stop motion animation. And they're just like, uh, okay. So when they decided that they were going to do A Nightmare Before Christmas, they went, let's put this under Touchstone instead of Disney. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> they did put it under Touchstone, didn't they? Let's, let's hide the fact. Because this is what cracked me up about Disney in the 80s and 90s. They weren't fooling anybody. Touchstone Pictures, Disney. Uh, uh, Hollywood Pictures, Disney. <laughs> um, Who Framed Roger Rabbit was also Touchstone. Yeah. Um, which is really interesting like, because the, that is clearly a Disney film. Yeah, there's all of these different... Uh, names that they had for different studios because they didn't want to put it under the Disney label. They wanted yeah. to make adult films. And there's probably about three or four movie studios that were geared towards adult-themed movies. Just going back to uh, Who Framed Roger Rabbit for a second, that is 100%, 100% probably in my top five Disney films of all time. Mm -hmm. One, because it was incredibly unique for what it was. Right. Um, two. Uh, but was it? Because let's go back. Bedknobs and Broomsticks. No, no, I'm, I'm Mary not Poppins. I'm not referring to that aspect of it. Though. Right. I'm referring to these different cartoon characters, characters from Disney, characters right. from Warner Brothers, Betty Boop, all these different right, these right. different studios coming together to make make something. Yeah. No, it wasn't or, or giving movie. permission. Yeah, to it was. It was. Yeah, licensed. because Woody Woodpecker was even there, and he's from yeah. Universal. But that yeah. also begged the question because I remember watching a Universal um, trailer for a movie. I can't remember what the movie was, but I I heard the music and I went, I've heard that in a Disney promotion, and it made me wonder because Disney owns a lot of things that we're not aware of. Yeah, they could own a stock music uh, factory. They could own Universal for all we know, under different subsidiary of things. Because it, it's not just it's not just the Walt Disney Company directly owning something. It's Walt Disney Company owning this, yeah. which owns this, which owns this, which has the rights to this, which is oh, like they they are set to own the entire commercial world at some point. At I'm some not point, kidding yeah. you. No, I can I can confidently say that they don't own Universal. Um, one, 
I remember seeing I'm that. sure they don't. Yeah. I'm just... Yeah. Um, but it, it makes you pause. You go, huh? Yeah, exactly. Now, that that is the thing, is Disney has picked up and acquired, and in sometimes, so, sometimes sold off. Mm-hmm. I, I like, they've obviously Marvel and Star Wars. Uh, Muppets, which they picked up, sold off, picked up again. Power Rangers, was which they picked up and sold off. He's one that the people don't realize that they picked up, and then they sold off. They picked up the Peanuts when Charles Schultz died. That's true. That's true. They picked and up they Charles Schultz's characters. I, I, the thing is, is they, they kind of get a hold of something, and they don't know what to do with it. Like Power Rangers. They had no idea what to do with Power Rangers, so they sold it back to Saban. Right. Same, thing, same thing with Peanuts, although I think they sold it to Apple, and I think that's a problem. But, um, well, no, they sold it prior to Apple picking it up. They sold it somewhere else, and I think Apple bought it off of that. And that is problematic because, um, oh, I know what happened. You know, I think maybe you're right. Maybe it might have been directly to Apple because here's what happened. CBS had all those rights. Yes. And then when Disney bought it, then Charlie Brown's Christmas and... All that stuff went yeah. to Apple went TV. to it and went to ABC, ABC, which Disney owned. Right, and then off it goes into Apple, and that's problematic because it should be public access. Yeah, I agree. Um, but it, it's really fascinating when you watch that kind of thing because we came across that article about where right. Disney has the possibility of losing how much money was it it was oh god it was like 300 million yeah it was huge and and we're not even talking we're just talking about north america Mm -hmm. we haven't even gotten into it's too deep of a dive to go into but i found that article interesting where they didn't get the rights to show of all things and i found it ironic one of their iconic characters is is jiminy cricket and yet cricket over in india the sport is going to cost them multi-millions of dollars because they lost the rights to broadcast it. I was explaining this to Zipper. Or, well, Zipper was listening to us discuss this over the right. phone. And I, I said, Crick, like, they lost the right to cricket tournaments. And Zipper <laughs> thought they were having crickets fight each other. I'm like, I, I have this image now of, of an ultimate fighting challenge ring where two crickets enter, one leaves. <laughs> I, I I pose to you, Kung Fu Cricket. Kung Fu Cricket. The, the Bugs Life grasshopper cricket things versus Jiminy Cricket. Just oh, like, bam! Jiminy's dead. Yeah, yeah he's Jiminy's not... dead. Oh, uh, just just a little little side note. Secret cricket. secret to that. If you want to, you know how Disney characters pop up. Well, there's Disney characters that are harder to get a picture with than others. I didn't know this. Daisy Duck doesn't pop up all that often. I got a picture with Daisy Duck. She just happened to be there. But Jiminy Cricket. If you want a picture with Jiminy Cricket, go to the Animal Kingdom. There's like this little... You have to get on the train to do it. And go on the train and you you go back to this um, play... It's not really a player. It's it's like a little science-y center kind of place that not a lot of people really are aware of. And Jiminy Cricket's there (laughs) where you can... Get a picture with them. It sounds like hunting Pokemon. Yeah, it was kind of like that. <laughs> it was kind of like that in a way. But, uh, yeah, Disney is just, it's so much to try and encompass a hundred whole years into one podcast. Yeah. Um, and that's, I think that's kind of what we need to talk, just kind of boil things down to is the anim, like the actual animation movies. Yeah, the things that we all think about with Disney. Yeah. 
when you think Disney, the first thing that pops in, well, I think Disney, the first thing that pops into my head is animation. Yeah. And there are tons of these animated films that have been made over the years. Some of them I, I absolutely adore. Um, growing up, it like, although it's not a fully animated film, uh, Mary Poppins, I loved as yeah. a kid. Um, uh, Robin Hood was yeah. fantastic. Sword in the Stone, man. Yeah, yeah. I love Sword in the Stone. Yeah, and that's what I mean. Find, find Black Cauldron, give it a watch, because it's some of the Black best. Black Cauldron's great. It's one of the, the best things Disney's ever done, and yet it wasn't a, a huge hit. But what what's astounding about that, too, is the fact that we no longer have, on Sunday night, we don't have The Wonderful World of oh, Disney anymore. Oh, I know. I know. And that upsets me. I love The Wonderful World of Disney back in back in the day. Uh, what was fantastic about it is you never knew what you were going to get in when it first started because it was like, is it going to be an animation? Are they going to show like Dumbo or whatever? Or is yeah. it going to be a nature documentary? Or is it going to be, there's like about four different things that you didn't. Tinkerbell would fly out and she'd, you know, hit the little compass it, and it would spin around. And it there's felt, an intro by Walt. And it felt like an event. Now, it was I, an event. It was, I, that was Sunday night. When I was watching it, or what, um, when they were doing them in the 90s, there, there wasn't an intro from Walt. But we did get Tinkerbell. Yeah. And in the 90s, they did a lot of things. Like, I remember they did a remake of the Computer War Tennis mm -hmm. Shoes. Uh, there, there was a Sabrina the Teenage Witch movie. And they brought out new items for that. They specifically yeah. made movies for yeah. the wonderful world of Disney yeah. right here in our hometown. Uh, Mr. Headmistress. Right. I was the background extra in it. Yeah, with Harlan Williams. Yeah, yeah and Katie Seagal. Right. Um, and they filmed that at Alma College here. Which well, no longer exists. Yes. And it's now apartment buildings. Yay. <laughs> so it was always fun. It was always something I look forward to on a Sunday night. Yeah. Because really, what else was there on a Sunday night? This was before I was into wrestling. But it really brought families together, right? And so, like I said on our Christmas podcast, like now I really am not happy with what disney does in terms of family entertainment for the television because it's just very saccharine sweet and just i mean and somewhere along the line like i i grew up well okay in canada we had the family channel which played a lot of the disney, disney channel stuff so i grew up watching a lot of disney channel stuff and i know where all that came from they came from a point where they were just grinding out kids shows yeah and they went with, like, you had your outliers. Like, even Stevens was a fantastic show. That's where Shia LaBeouf got his start. Mm -hmm. um, but there were a lot of them that I can't even remember the names of. And they had this very specific look to them. They had this very specific acting style to them. Right. And they were just, like, there. To, for me... It was background noise while I did something look, look else. Look at the Mickey Mouse Club. Christina Aguilera, Britney Spears, uh, Ryan Gosling. Justin Timberlake. Yeah. Um, and then the, the high school musicals, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. I mean, look at all the people that came out of that. Yeah. Like just it, It's a great place to start. But we're going to go longer on this. I know we are. Because I don't want to sit there and talk about Disney without talking about the iconic Disney villains. Never mind Star Wars, never mind Marvel. Just the Disney animated villains. Who's your favorite villain or villainess, friend? You have one? She's pulling that confused face like, well, how dare you ask me a question? I'm just the techno mage. Come we'll, back to me. We'll come back to you, Nick. Jafar. 
Okay, why do you think Jafar is a great? Jafar guy? was a slimy piece of you know what. Like the fact that he was manipulating the Sultan, who's just this sweet old guy. Yeah. And he's using his hypnotic powers and all that stuff. I'm just like, I hate this guy. Yeah. But he was also, uh, he was like, I hated the remake. Not for anything else except the fact that they made Jafar sound like a high-pitched tool. <laughs> and I'm like, what did they do to my boy? Listen, the, to me, there's there's a number of villains that stand out. And some of them are near and dear to my heart because... One of them being Captain Hook because I played Captain Hook. I played great. Captain Hook in a production of Peter Pan. So, but I'm not. That was an invention of J.M. Barry in a way. I'm going to go along with. I'm going to talk about some of the biggest, baddest villains that they have because Jafar. Yeah, like he wants power. Okay, he's a great villain. Don't get me wrong, but does he really compare to Scar, who murders his own well, brother? And that. That's kind of the thing is like if you ask me my favorite, it's gonna be Jafar, but then it's gonna be Scar. Scar is fantastic. Voiced by Jeremy Irons. Yes. And that delicious song that that they gave Scar. I mean prepared. how many villains get a song like that? Like it's just it's just so rich and fantastic and scary. And if you didn't know he was the villain before, you sure did with that song. To be fair, Jafar did not get a song, I don't think. Jafar did, well, Jafar did the reprise of um, one of the other songs. Um, but Ursula Prince as well. Oh, Ursula, yes. Let's talk about Ursula because, wow, what a great villainess she is. Ursula is one of my favorite. I have two that are kind of tied. But yeah. Ursula is one of my favorites. Especially now that I'm adult and like I'm an adult and I realize some of the songs. Like, she's all about revenge. About, and the joke about body language. It's like, okay, yeah. yep, I get it now. And she's but, all about revenge too with the idea that it's like, I can't go after your father, but I'm going to get you. Ursula, Ursula as, a, as a kid. She's Ursula, doing it just to be a dick. I know. But <laughs> Ursula also kind of scared me as a kid. Yeah. She is very, not, not based on her appearance. But just in the way she acts, she's incredibly wicked. She's incredibly manipulative. And she doesn't just stand back. <laughs> and she's, and she's based on a drag queen of all I know. things. She was supposed to be divine. <laughs> but she she doesn't just stand back and watch from the wing. She gets it. When things start going south, she gets involved. Yeah. And I love that. I love that so much. Yeah, it doesn't just rely on her henchmen. So who's the other one that you had? Gaston. Gaston! <laughs> yeah, uh, okay. One, because I grew up pretending to be Belle my <laughs> entire life. I was Belle, my dad was the Beast, my mom was just the Pots, and my brother was, was Chip. That's just yeah. how it worked. But now that I'm adult, I realize that Gaston is one of the scariest villains out there. Okay, convince me of this, because I, I have... Nobody else sees it. Belle and Maurice are the only ones that see him as bad. Right. He's manipulated everybody else. He's used his charisma to make everybody else like him. Charisma. And uh, he he's basically fooled everybody in that town. And he puts the dad in an insane asylum just because he doesn't like what's going on. And at that time, historically, insane asylums were crazy. Well, he, yeah, but he is, he's also very narcissistic because the whole, the only reason he wants Belle is because he can't have Belle. 
Yeah, that's true. Yep. So, um, just to talk about the live action remake of this film, not my favorite, but man, I loved Luke Evans as Gaston. Listen, he was I, fantastic. I will, I, will, I will tell you something about that. That's probably one of the better live action remakes that they did. I absolutely adored it. Like, so when it came out, I went with a few classmates and John also went, we dressed up. I made the bell dress from the, like, from the, I went to Lumiere. Yeah, John is Lumiere. My other two friends, my two classmates did Gaston and Lafoe. Um, and it just, I, I cried. I yeah. fell in love with the movie. Yeah, there's some casting that wasn't the best, but it, to be honest, having Emma Watson as Belle for emotional levels, it was perfect. Yeah. For the emotional side of it, to have the, her previous characters be represented again, like, because her previous characters were probably based on Belle, and it was just beautiful. Dan, so, go ahead. Dan Stevens, don't get me wrong. I like Dan Stevens as an actor. He was fantastic in the TV show Legion. Absolutely amazing. But I think he was wrong for the beast. And you're shaking your head. I know. <laughs> I don't think he had the personality for the beast. He's a, I don't. This is like the saying. Opinions are like nostrils. Everybody has a couple. <laughs> Thanks. Um. <laughs> I also enjoyed they made a whole song of the male love interest pining over the other side which is very different than what they normally do in everything else. It's almost yeah. the, like the girl going, oh my God, he left me. And well, this is like, I will still survive, even though she left. It's just wonderful. But, and his voice in that was just... Mm. But that's the great thing about the original animated Beauty and the Beast is that it kicked off Disney's renaissance. Mm -hmm. Because first of all, it's the first time any animated film had ever been nominated for Best Picture. And they got the category, they decided to make the category a few years later of Best Animated Feature Film. So, I mean, and Disney was just on a roll. Well, actually, The Little Mermaid kicked it off. But uh, but Beauty and the Beast just solidified it. Yeah, there, there, was, a, there was kind of a little bit of a... Um, a break between Little Mermaid and because you had between that you had yeah, but it wasn't much uh, of a break yeah between that you had DuckTales and the second Rescuers movie and then it went into yeah. Beauty and the Beast then you have Aladdin and so on uh, Lion King so on and so forth yeah and Hercules and all that but oh god I love Hercules but but before we get into all the 90s and 2000s Disney I, I get what you're saying about Gaston but he's he's just a narcissist he's He's kind of like he's kind of weak when you compare him to these two babes, Maleficent and Cruella Deville. Cruella was scary. There's a whole song yeah. about and what a nasty, yeah. wasty skunk she is. And, and there's the thing: like, if it wasn't for for uh, licensing rights, I am re I really want to break out in the song right now. Here's 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 a little bit of trivia for you guys. You know, I played Gomez Adams yeah. in the production of The Adams Family. For my audition, I wanted a song that I felt would would show a Gomez-like kind of character. I sang Cruella DeVille. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. My, my friend, Got me the part. <laughs> uh, my friend, Ree, she adores Cruella. Not in the 
this is my idol type of way, just as a villain. But she's she's a cosplayer as well as Ren, and she does a really killer yeah, Cruella. Look at look at the fact that Cruella might Cruella and and another one that I'm going to mention in a moment might be the pent ultimate in the baddies here because if you think about you have the original 101 Dalmatians. And then you have the Glenn Close version. Mm -hmm. And it did so well that they did 102 Dalmatians. Mm -hmm. And then you have Cruella with... Uh, um, Emma Stone. Yeah, Emma Stone. Thank you very much. I was confused because I almost said Emma Watson, and I knew that wasn't right. But I had the Emma part. <laughs> and that's all that matters. That's all that matters. But And Emma Stone did a great job. And I really like that live-action Cruella because it's faithful to the story. You know, it's you sit there and you see why she is the way she is, and then you see why she became the way she is, and this this sort of progression into where you go, okay, I can see where she's going to become obsessed with this, you know, and she's I mean, it's a woman that wants to murk puppies for God's sake. To make a coat. For her like just for herself, like and she'll pay anything to get them and do anything to get them. And that rich animation where you see the fire in her eyes and, yes. she, and the coat is waving and the car is falling apart and she does not care. And back then, Disney didn't murk their villains. I remember seeing the Little Mermaid going, oh, the villain gets killed. Really? That's I never noticed new? that. That's, not, that's something I actually noticed. Well, yeah, I mean, the, I, I actually the, the probably the pet ultimate baddie is probably the first one that actually gets killed, and that's Maleficent. Yeah, I was gonna say, did yeah. Maleficent get killed? Yeah, with the when she was, but she was in dragon was, yeah, form. Yeah, she was a dragon. But can you imagine, like, just the look of Maleficent in Sleeping Beauty when she arrives and goes, "My invitation must be lost in the mail," <laughs> you know, and she arrives there, and the king and the queen, and just all the wonderful animation. And probably the first time I remember a cuss word, if you will, quote unquote, in a Disney flick when she's talking about now you will deal with me, O Prince, and all of the powers of hell. So I'm just, I'm just trying to think the the '90s movies, which villains actually get popped? Because all of them. No, they don't. Because okay, um, Gaston gets popped. <laughs> gets popped. Can we can we have a different they 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 get their kermuppets, they die, if you will. Jafar doesn't get killed, he gets turned into a genie himself. Right. Uh, Hades doesn't get killed. Well, Hades can't get killed. Yeah. Um but Scar uh, gets killed. Yeah, Scar gets killed. Um and um oh why can't I think of his name? Uh in her um Hunchback of Notre Dame. The Cardinal. Oh yeah. Uh, anyway, it doesn't matter. He 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 bites it, and such. That is another glorious villain. Holy cow! Voiced by the amazing, and I miss him very much, Tony J. Like um, that was just a phenomenal song, and the music that they put in there, and you know Disney's little tongue in cheek. They did this a lot. Uh, <laughs> they 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 had the two gargoyles. Victor and Hugo. <laughs> yeah, I know. I love that. I love you know, that. And they, they would do that in other other projects as well, you know. And I just thought that was kind of cute. But yeah, I mean, these villains, like no matter what the villain is, you know that they're the villain. You can see that they're the villain. You, except in Frozen. Oh, my gosh. 
you know, they, they have that wonderful little song. It's like, we finish each other's love is an open sentence. I can't finish that. <laughs> copyright, but yes. No one is going to come for you on the copyright because you sang that so badly. <laughs> but it wasn't even close. But yeah, I mean, like you sit there and you think, oh, he's this wonderful guy. Oh, he's not. Oh, okay. I like that because it just came out of nowhere. Yeah. It was completely unexpected. And I just... I just don't. Well, really, one of the weakest villains. Oh yeah, I, but I think. okay, but, but, but the, but the that, surprise makes up for that. But I think that that shows where we're going because they started this with the live action Maleficent, where it's like, well, you know, people at their core are good people. Nobody's really truly bad. We like. I'm here to tell you, folks, there are bad people out there uh, that are just bad. Her name was Maleficent. She had two cho- No, she had one choice. Evil villainous. And the thing of it is, perfectly cast by Angelina Jolie. Yeah, I really enjoyed but Angelina But I hated Jolie. the movie because it wasn't Sleeping Beauty. And by that, I mean, like, if you want to tweak it, you want to modernize it, okay, whatever, right? It's your property. Do so. But don't make it this sort of... They made it this... And listen, I'm, I'm all for equal rights. I'm all for women's rights. I'm all for that. So don't come for me. But don't make every male in the movie either an idiot, a weakling, or a douchebag. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So here's my thing. I liked Maleficent, but man, I did not want to see a sequel to that. I haven't seen the sequel to it. No, I, hate, I, I, I haven't either. I hated the live action so much. Yeah. Uh, and and mostly because they... they they crapped on the story because, oh, now True Love's Kiss is this mother's thing, whatever. And that's a fairy tale. Come on. Come yeah. on. There's there's a time and place for everything. So, I mean, I love classic Disney. I love Renaissance Disney. I don't love modern Disney. I can understand that. Um, modern Disney to me now is just Marvel and Star Wars. I think the last... I'm going to say modern-ish Disney film that I liked. I'm not sure which came out first. Um, I liked Finding Nemo. Yeah. And I liked Up. Uh, Finding Nemo came out first. Yeah. So uh, the the funny thing about Up is somebody sent me uh, (laughs) that first five minutes of that movie. You talk about a gut punch. Oh, my God. I know. You talk about a gut punch. But somebody sent me this picture of Carl. (laughs) They said, why does this remind me of you? And I looked at that and I went, that does look a lot like my dad. When I'm old, I'm going to look like Carl from Up. So I need to find a house and And tie a bunch of balloons to it. Because I'm going to, I, I, I guarantee you, as I get older, I am going to cosplay the crap out of that character. That's awesome. So here's the thing. I wasn't even thinking Pixar films. Reason being for that is I, even though it's owned by Disney, I look at Pixar as a completely different beast mm, altogether. Yeah. But their villains are, can be, I think Hopper's one of the worst villains, but whatever. Well, I but like Hopper as a villain. I really dug Sid as a villain because he wasn't really a villain, but he was still the villain. Yeah. He was just a kid that was playing with toys. He didn't know they were alive. Yeah. Ripping them apart. Toy Story, like, it's still going strong. Yeah. Um, The, yeah, just a lot of the Pixar movies are absolutely great. Oh, uh, Syndrome. Syndrome from, uh, yeah, from, uh, 
from The Incredibles. He's a great villain. But what's with a great purpose. But what's really cool too is sometimes in like the the live action movies in a way, sometimes the villains are really great, but they're not even human. If you look at Tron, mainframe, yeah, is like the villain. He's like the big baddie. It's almost like playing a well, it is a video game. You play a video game until you get to the final boss. When you look at um, the black hole, yeah, there's a human villain, but there's also Maximilian. Mm-hmm. Maximilian is a bad robot. Yeah. He, 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 he murks Tony Perkins. Like, I mean, you didn't see that a whole lot. And that's what I mean about the 80s Disney stuff. They did really good things. They're like, Something Wicked This Way Comes is a horror yes. movie. It's a horror movie. It's a Ray, It's based on a Ray Bradbury book. Like, that is not a name I would go, oh, this would be a good Disney movie. But one of my favorite villains, because it's also one of my favorite actors, Vincent Price in The Great Mouse Detective. Yes. That's Radigan. I love Radigan because, only because it's Vincent Price. And you see that wonderful Vincent Price voice. And he's doing all these Vincent Price things. And he's like, wow, if a rat was ever Vincent Price, that's it. And he has the, that great song, which Vincent Price sings. And it's like, I use that, as you know, when people were leaving the theater when I directed The Mousetrap. Yeah, you did. Yeah. Um, I mean, anything involving Vincent Price is typically quality anyway. But for him to do a Disney film, uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's awesome. Absolutely. And, you know, listen, gang, we can go on and on about Disney because it's just, it's a hundred years. We haven't even got, like, yeah, we we, just, like the, the tip of the, we haven't even touched the type, tip of the iceberg. Oh, no, like we're a snowflake that Elsa threw down on the tip of that iceberg. You know, like, there's so many properties we could talk. We could dissect each and every movie. Yeah, we could. You know, but. And who knows? Maybe in the future we will. Maybe, maybe, but, but I, I, I don't know what's going to happen. Will Disney be around another hundred years or will they have two replica Death Stars on each side of the Earth orbiting us so that the Earth looks like the Mickey Mouse <laughs> ears and logo at some point? Who knows? I won't be around to see it, but the way that Disney's going, maybe I will. Who knows? Yeah. Who knows? That's all the time that we have for this episode of Area 51 and a half. But before we go, we're appearing live at Forest City Comic Con in London, Ontario on June 24th at Centennial Hall. Area 51 and a half will have a panel that day and a live taping of an episode. So come out and see us and don't forget to stop by the Mori no Machi Mado Cafe to enjoy some handmade food and entertainment. Nick, remind our aliens how they can get a hold of us. You can find us on Facebook by searching for Area 51 and a half. You can also find us on TikTok, Twitter, and Instagram at the area 51H. And thank you for joining us on our landing pad, aliens. For Ren, Nick, and me, Spooky Uncle John, we're signing off from Area 51 and a half and saluting our mouse overlord. All hail the mouse. Mm-hmm.